welcome back to the Mandate Podcast, a podcast where we encourage people towards deeper relationship through meaningful conversation. A podcast where you'll get to know people from the 605. Here's our latest episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mandate podcast. I am here with a guest. We're going to introduce him pretty soon. Uh, but right away, huge shout out to my co-host, Ryan. Pros and cons. Cons. What's ben, up? how you doing today? I'm doing great, brother. How you doing? I'm doing well. You're looking great. You're looking great. Suit and tie. I've got the suit and tie on today. Did you lock down any business deals? Yeah. Good day today. Good, good. day today. Hey, uh, you're drinking Mountain Dew. Is this a Diet Mountain Dew? Yeah, is this dude. A regular for you? No, no, it's not regular. Oh man, when I'm feeling when I'm feeling, I need a little caffeine. Yeah, I go with the Diet Mountain Dew. It's pro- I probably have one a week. No kidding. I don't drink La Soda. Yeah, I've noticed that. But I needed one on my way here because I knew I had to bring the energy. God bless. Because we got a special guest. We got a really good guest today. Who is it, Ryan? Well, Lon Strohshine. Lon Strohshine today. Lon Strohshine, what is up? Not much, guys. How are you doing? I didn't realize we were all wearing suits, uh, but you two are, and you look great. <laughs> That's kind of you. Thank you. I'm wearing V-neck, bro. I try to stay out of this monkey suit. I didn't realize you were a bow tie guy, though. <laughs> <laughs> bow tie with my... They can't see us, Lon. You're making me... <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I'm enjoying this already. Uh, I say we cut it. I say we just yeah, wrap it. This is a great episode. Great Lon, episode. thanks for coming. Lon, you've been great. Lon, uh, we met through a previous guest, Mr. Phil Ellerbrook. Yeah, your your premiere, your first of guest. Yep, shout out to that's exactly right. He was he popped the mandate cherry. Was, can you that say that ballsy, on this podcast? That's a ballsy thing to say. Uh, well, well, we can edit that. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. This is going great. Really going off the rails. Yeah. Uh, Lon, so, so we met, so that's how we met. Yeah. And at that time, uh, you were, you are uh, uh, working for a publicly traded company here in Sioux Falls, but you had this crazy idea and you brought this idea to me and not that I added a whole bunch of value to it. I just listened and I was like, dude, you are on to something, bro. How do you get this out there? And we want to get there. So that, that for our guests is, is normal 40. We're going to get into normal 40. But Lon, the one thing the mandate uh, audience needs to hear about is, who are you, man? Where'd you come from? Where you been? What do you do? So, uh, look, I'm a I'm a fourth generation South Dakota farm kid. I grew up um, on a small well, I grew up and I went to school in a small town called Warner, which is in Brown County. Um, I I uh, my folks still live on the farm. My sister and brother in law operate the farm. Um, but, uh, and the farm's been in the family, as I said, for four generations. Really interesting tidbit. Uh, my great-grandfather bought it, lost it in the, in the 30s. My grandfather bought it back, and it's been in the family ever since. Uh, my dad lost half of it in the 1980s, and slowly has been able to kind of pull that back uh, into, into what it is today. So uh, I am, I was, uh, I was, um, born and raised there and all throughout my childhood it's just kind of weird how it works on a on a farm and ranch family it's just kind of assumed that one of the kids are going to stay 
And it just kind of happens that who is going to stay just kind of presents itself. It's not, at least in our family, it wasn't that my parents said, look, here's, here's the plan. You're going to go, you're going to go be a ter- an attorney. You're going to go, um, do international business and you're going to run a business in Aberdeen and you're going to run the farm. Mm-hmm. That isn't what happens. But yet that is just kind of how it was, how it was panning out. And I was the one who was going to run the farm. I grew up believing my whole, my whole life through most of college, by the way, that I was going to be the fourth generation on the farm. And so did everyone in my family. And so, um, I went, I graduated from high school and I went to Northern state, which is only a few miles away, uh, because I was farming. I was farming with my dad and I had land and I had cattle and I had equipment and we were farming together in the summer. And, uh, and then I would take class not very regularly, uh, as a student, uh, because for me it was, it really was just kind of, it was too close to home. It was one of those deals where it was too close to home and too easy to, to just not, not have to care about things. Um, so after doing that for a couple of years, I decided after my second sophomore year of college that maybe I should go get an ag business degree because I was going to be a farmer. And so I transferred to South Dakota State, um, and I transferred in 19, uh, in the spring of 97. And um, that was a rough, rough winter. For anybody who was here, you'll remember that disastrous winter. And, um, and it was really hard for me to get home and, and be all that helpful, but I continued to do it in the summers. And uh, then May, I graduated in 1999, and in, in January of 1999, I got a phone call. I'm sitting in my apartment, and all of my friends had graduated. I was on the six-year plan, and the slowest of my friends were on a five-and-a-half-year plan, and most of my pr- friends were on a four-and-a-half-year plan, so I was, like, on an island. And my phone rang, and I answered it, and it was a call from the United States Senator's office. And they said, um, long story short, they asked if I would be interested in coming to work for the senator, um, helping in the state, in Rapid City, managing and leading um, his office in the western half of the state, um, and being his body guy when he's back in the state, but then attending all the meetings that he gets he gets asked to attend while he's in Washington, D.C. So essentially be his eyes and ears while he's in Washington, D.C. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm a farmer. I'm going to go home and be a farmer. I can't do this. Uh, but then it kind of dawned on me in real time that this phone call might not happen again and that I really need to probably not say no immediately and I need to give it some thoughts, and I did. And uh, and obviously the long, the, the long story being longer is that I said yes. And I went home and I, I traveled home and I told my dad that I sat him down and I, I explained to him the situation. And I told him that I wasn't going to come home to the farm, that I had an opportunity to go work for a United States senator, that I was going to do it, and that the farm would be here uh, if and when the time was right for me to come back. So my dad sat there. He cried for about 30 minutes the first time I saw him cry uh, and didn't say much. And I just kind of left and uh, uh, went, back to, went back to school and finished up the semester. And, but that is what I did. I, I sold my cattle, sold my equipment. Uh, let my land lease go back, and I went to work for United States Senator for five years in Rapid City, South Dakota. Can can we back up? Yo, I think there's some stuff there. Um, so it's the first time ever you see your dad cry. Yeah, dude, that's farmers, a big deal, bro. Farmers don't cry. They don't. He, so how did I? Did, have you talked to him since that day? Oh yeah. So what? What was? I mean, he clearly in his mind had had 
thought, okay, I'm going to pass this on to my son. This is the greatest gift you can give is farmland and a business to some an, an heir. That isn't the gift. What's the gift? The gift isn't the business. The gift is the tradition. Go further. And a rancher, a rancher doesn't view assets and liabilities like a banker. It's the balance sheet's different. It's it's not about dollars and cents. It's generations and memories. And my dad, my family, but my dad, you know, that the obligation you have is to make sure that um, everything that's accumulated through him and before him conveys to the family and for the family. And when I when I came to the realization that maybe I would, but not now, and I had that conversation, um, he, I'm sure, uh, felt that the plan was broken and that it might not convey as it, certainly as it intended. Um, and it was, it was, that is what he was experiencing at that moment. Was he also thinking lost time because this also was a business you had together right the farm the ranch is is your and his and now he's like well i plan on spending the next however much time and then retiring and handing it over to you now now i'm not going to get any of that time back would that cross his mind it would have to you mean so it was me and my dad it was just the two of us for the five or six years we were you know, probably even longer than that, probably eight or 10 years when you're, when you're on a farm. Um, and like I said, we, we went broke in the eighties and I was 10 to 12 and I was doing things that probably shouldn't be doing when you're 10 and 12 for survival. And that, that doesn't make me special. That makes me the exact norm for people who went through that at that time. Um, and so, yeah, we, we had literally been farming together. He and I, my mom had a job in town and it was he and I, you know, uh, we, when she went and got a job in town, when we had financial problems, um, that's when we learned how to cook together. I mean, otherwise, the, the dinner lunch, uh, it was dinner and supper on the farm. Mm-hmm. So yep. Yep. to translate here, uh, the lunch, the noon meal, we'll call it, uh, my dad and I figured that out. So that was leftovers and what, what, can, what magic can you create with a frying pan, a spatula, and whatever you can find in the refrigerator? And that was pretty fun, and I'm still pretty darn good at that <laughs> to this day. So, yeah, it was, it was he and I. Uh, it, to this day, if I hear Paul Harvey, I have a Pavlovian response, and I'm hungry, because we had noon meal with Paul Harvey every single day of my life until I was about the age of 22. Mm. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it, it's, it absolutely is those time. Uh, that time that I traded, I traded for something else. So what was your re- reaction to that? Were you surprised that he cried? No, okay. there's a reason why I went home to tell him. And then beyond that, did that have any impact on your decision? Did you have to, I mean, did you, were you rethinking by that point? Did you have your mind made up that you were going to do this in Rapid City? I had told him yes, and I was going to go. Look, and it, uh, I didn't know if I was going to stay. I just know, I just knew that I had to try. Mm. I would have regretted not trying. I would have sat in a tractor and wondered. 
I would have been making fence and considered. And I just had to go try. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So, um, Lon, what, what senator were you working for? I worked for Senator Daschle. Senator Tom Daschle. My man. What was that like? Oh, man. So That's look, a good dude. He's a, he's a great dude. And w- unfortunately, um, you learn a lot. You learn a lot when you work for a, um, a Democrat senator. Um, and I, I literally could fill up the rest of this podcast with some of the coolest stories ever. Um, but, but maybe give us one. Okay. Like your, your most member. And I, won't, I don't want, we do, at the Mandate Podcast, we don't want one that is going to be the listener's favorite. We want Lon's favorite I'm gonna story. Gi- I'm going to give you two. So one, Even better. One is, so this was, you guys are going to like this because if you can flash back to your first job out of college, that's where I'm at. And keep in mind, I'm fresh. I just moved from, from uh, Brookings to Rapid City. Um, and it was day one. It was day one. I was coming in with my, my college backpack because that's all I could afford. A suit that I, you know, that didn't match the top and bottom, whatever. I'm coming in with my pens, my pencils, and I, I come into the office and, uh, you know, looking all the, all the part that I thought I should look. And I set my stuff down in my office, first of all, that the office, congressional offices in the state are not glamorous places. This is a converted old house on the first floor. And, uh, and in the house, my office, was a converted, um, a bedroom that was converted to a little cafeteria that was converted to my office that still housed the microwave, okay? So if you're going to heat up your coffee, you're coming into my office to heat up your (laughs) microwave uh, to walk back out. Okay, so I come in and I set my pencils down. And Ace, a gal I worked for, she she ran that office. Uh, There was a tornado the night before in Pine Ridge. And so that would have been... Uh, June 4th-ish, I might be off a date or two, a day or two, uh, June 4th of of 1999, and there's a tornado that came through Pine Ridge. And it ended up killing killing an individual, but it did a lot of damage, and it got a lot of national press, and of course I saw that. I didn't realize before I started working for U.S. Senator what our response needed to be. So I came in, set my stuff down, and A says, all right, welcome, set your stuff down. Grab your grab your stuff. We're going to Pine Ridge. All right, here we go. So we go to Pine Ridge, and of course we get there and we meet all the FEMA. Everybody from FEMA is there. Everybody's uh, uh, descending into Pine Ridge at the at once. The emergency crews are still out. You know, it's kind of a disaster zone. So we go. We do our part. We do our thing. We come back that night. The next day we go back again, um, and I very quickly meet the chairman. The chairman of the of the, of the tribe, uh, Harold Salway, Chairman Salway is his name. And, uh, and he said, I would like to talk to you tomorrow. I said, great, I'll be back. We named a time, Joe back. Okay. So day three, Ace says, you're on your own. You got this. So sure enough, I hop in my very used Jeep and off, off I go. And, uh, before I left, I didn't even have a name tag. I didn't have, have anything. So the guy who worked there before me, a guy by the name of Rob Furman, a guy from Flandreau, South Dakota, had his former name tag there, and I just took some paper and some tape, and I just put Lon Strohshine over Rob Furman, and it still had the rest of the, you know, Senator Tom Daschle's office on it. So I take off, and I'm going a little fast, and I get pulled over uh, about eight miles, eight or ten miles outside of Pine Ridge, and the officer comes up to my car, 
And he goes, do you know why, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, yeah, yeah I was, I was, uh, I'm sure I was going a little fast. He goes, yeah, you're going really fast. And he looks down and it's tribal, it's a tribal police officer. And he sees my name tag, my homemade, I made it an hour ago name tag. And he goes, oh, do you work for the Senator? And I said, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm scared. I'm going to be late for a meeting with uh, chairman Selway. And he goes, Oh, follow me. <laughs> so he pulls out in front of me, turns on the lights and we go rolling, rolling all the way. Up. So here I am day three on the job, fresh out of college. <laughs> and I'm thinking, all right, police this is escort, the baby. police escort. <laughs> Usually the time. cops are behind me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm way more comfortable with that, but here we go. I'm following them now. So here we go. And we go rolling in and and the rest is just kind of history. But, I mean, it's just, you know, total B-school. I, I felt like I should have a name tag. I made a name tag. and and uh, But it's a cool experience when you work when you work for somebody who's got the ability to, to impact people. Mm. You, you get a different level of, of treatment from them, right or wrong. It is how it works. And, uh, and so that would absolutely be one story I would share. The other one, uh, which is really cool, and there again, I'm going to say a bunch of things that, that go back so far in history that a lot of people can't relate to, but there was a time when Senator Daschle and Senator Lott, very similar to today, they were the two who had to pioneer how we're going to govern when we have a 50-50 split in the Senate. It had never happened before. And so um, when that happened, instead of fighting and going to the streets and going to their respective um, television networks, they locked themselves in the old Senate chamber, which if you're familiar with it is the old Senate chamber. It's not where it is today. There's an old Senate chamber in the Capitol. And the two of them went in there, not staff, not anybody. And they said, we've got to figure out how we are going to govern. Because whether you're a leader or majority or minority leader, a whole bunch of things cascade from there, as you can imagine. And as you know, uh, you know, just just a whole bunch of things. We don't need to go into the details. But they said, "Here's how we're going to govern," and uh, and so that 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 set out uh, how that was going to work. Um, then the next election cycle came, and and it was fifty forty nine and one, and uh, there was an independent who was who was caucusing with the Republicans. So Senator Dash was in the minority. Uh, well. That senator is a guy by the name of Jim Jeffords, and Jim Jeffords decides part of the way through the term that he's going to switch and caucus with the Democrats. And Senator Daschle happened to be with me, and this was before anthrax, which I worked for him when he had that, and it was before 9-11, which I worked for him when 9-11 happened. And so it was just he and I in my Toyota by this time. I was driving a Toyota, and uh, uh, we're driving across the state. We're actually driving to um, to uh, Woonsocket, South Dakota. Uh, and we're just passing, we're actually, yeah, we're passing through Howard and I get a call and it's Senator Jeffords saying, I'm going to, I, can I talk to Senator Daschle? They chat and it's, it's Senator Jeffords saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to caucus with you. Translation, you're now going to be the majority leader. So the next call to my phone was CNN. Keep in mind, I'm a 26 year old kid. The next call to my phone was president Clinton. Um, and, and, uh, and it was, I said it was the most surreal thing, but for me as a 26 year old kid, it was just my job, right? To tell the story now, and I tell it to adults, they're like, "Are you kidding me?" But it was just my job. It's just what could happen when you're with the United States Senator. You get calls like that. So anyway, there's my two slices of just kind of B school uh, rookiness coming in, and then kind of uh, big big history changing stuff later on in, in my wow. time there. That's exciting. That's really cool, Lon. 
That's really cool. So is Tom Daschle still in the Lon Strohschein camp? I could send him a text right now and hear from him before this podcast is done. That's cool. He's wow. a close personal friend. He and Linda uh, are both close personal friends to Mindy and me. That's cool. That's wonderful. How about you and Bill Clinton? Still getting some you know, uh, Florida? You know, here's where I got to confess. <laughs> it wasn't actually Bill. It was his secretary saying uh, President Clinton on hold for Senator Daschle. So uh, I just got to say, just translate. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, This is the president. Anyway, so yeah, that's right. You're going to take this one. Thanks for making me <laughs> confess here. <laughs> we are about honesty on the Mandate Podcast. That's, that's right. exactly right. Quick pause. We appreciate you listening to this week's guest on the Mandate Podcast. To support the Mandate Podcast, please, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Also, like and subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at MandatePod or shoot us an email at Mandate.Pod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. All right. All right, Lon. So we're about halfway through. Um, The reason you've been invited is to talk about something that I think is remarkable, uh, especially how quickly you have built uh, this community. Um, you follow some, some real influencers when it comes to LinkedIn. I can tell by the way, the stuff that you're, uh, posting and your regularity and the content that you're putting in, like it's all real stuff. And just like we do at the mandate podcast, uh, this is a tough crowd to get into, uh, mostly because of pride and ego. And what I mean by that is men, men don't ever want to let people into the fact that there's a weakness there, right? We're all, we're protectors. Uh, we're, we're, we're strength, we're warriors. Uh, but what's behind that, that shield of protection is some soft gooiness and some dudes going through some real stuff. And one of the things that people go through really is an identity crisis, uh, or an occupation crisis or a crisis within their family their identity within their family. And that's exactly what Normal 40 is here to help with, right? You got the prescription medication for how to deal with kind of that, not really the midlife crisis, but in those ages where you start to think that you're, I feel like people are gauging, am I significant or am I insignificant? And what if I am insignificant, what can I do to get significance? Whether it's as a husband, father, worker, uncle, uh, uncle, grandpa, whatever it is. So let us in on normal 40, bro. What are you doing? So, well, you, you set it up really well. Um, so I think I want to tell you what I'm doing, but I think I need to tell you how I got here. Go. Um, so look, I, uh, I'm a writer. It's what I do. I, I, I write and I process and I think through my writing. Um, and the things I write, um, had always been things for me as I, you know, as I, as I go back to the stories I've already told about career decisions and do I or don't I, and all those things, I would do it through written form, um, as a way for me to process what was happening and slow it down. And, um, so I would say, so I'm 47 right now. Um, and probably around the time I was 43, maybe 44 at the latest, I, I had it. I had, I had it. I had, I had exactly what I wanted. 
100%. And I can tick it right down the list. I had wonderful friends, deep, deep, wonderful friendships. I have a wonderful marriage, strong, healthy. Um, I've got wonderful kids, strong, healthy, doing well. Um, I have, I had, uh, this being my first day gone from, from uh, Raven, um, I had a wonderful job as a public company executive, making more than most people make, quite honestly, and and be and a, t- a big title and a nice desk, and you would think that I should go home every single day, and hit my knees, and just pray prayers of thanks for exactly what I was given, and I did that. I did that and I knew it, but I would still go to work on some days and I would have great days and I was doing great work, but I would still wonder, is this it? Is, is this it? And, and so I, I hated the fact that I was asking that question. I mean, what kind of ass has what I had and still has the audacity to wonder if this is it? And I didn't like it. I didn't like the feeling, so I started writing about it as a way to process it. In, in that writing, um, I, I was exploring the different things that I was feeling. And so I sat down and I, I wrote what I call a blog, uh, even though I've never posted it. But it was my first of, of what the normal 40 is before I had a name for it or anything. And I just kind of wrote down what I was feeling and what I was experiencing. And what I, what I likened it to was a box. And the name of the post is The Box. And basically what I do is I just kind of dissect all the things I was feeling. And I, I realized that I had, for the first half of my life, for my first 40 years and for my first 20 pro- years professionally, I was climbing. I was doing all the things that dudes do to make it to the next step, to make a little more money, to have a little more status, to have a little bit bigger title, to have a little bit more influence, to do all the things that we are told we should do. It's totally normal. And I had done it. I had lived my first half by the book. I had done the things I needed to do. I'd put in the hours. I'd put in the work. Uh, I'd made the friendships. I was raising the family. I'd saved well, you name it. And I realized that when I did that, um, I had reached a place where all of the things I was chasing had suddenly become the walls of a box that I'd created. Let me give you an example. So I had uh, a great desk. And I mean that figuratively and literally. A great desk, great office. So I was, you know, buffered. My desk was kind of my buffer. It was my armor uh, away from, you know, keeping me uh, protected from certain things. I had a big, I had the nice title. Uh, I had the ability to hire and fire. I had a big budget. I could go travel. Um, I was acquiring companies. I was leading M&A. I was doing all of these things. Um, but there was a part of me that was saying, you know, maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something more that I should go explore. But every time I would think about it, I would think about what I would have to give up and what the trade would be. And, and all the things I was chasing to be successful became the things that were keeping me right where I was, preventing me from doing something else. Because what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Give up my title to go do, what, something else? Give up my income? Am I going to risk my family's health and safety by, you know, believing I want to go do something else? And so what you do is you just stay. You stay. 
Because you can. Because you've worked to a place to where things are kind of easy now. They were just kind of easy. And what happens is you hit a point where you realize you're kind of on autopilot. And that's where I was. It wasn't that I wasn't doing good. And it wasn't that I wasn't being successful. And it wasn't that I wasn't being a good dad and husband. It's that I was on autopilot. And I wasn't feeling fulfilled anymore. And that was the angst in me. That's the, is this it? Is this it? And so it's in that same box that I realized, well, the other part of it is, if I'm in a box and I'm 44 and I live to be in my late 80s or 90 and I work till I'm 60 or 65, shit, I'm in halftime, man. I'm half done. My kids are halfway out of the house. My professional career is halfway over. My life is half over. And I've got to decide. I'm in the locker room. I'm in the locker room. And I've got to decide how I want to play my third quarter. Because you don't have a, you're, you're at halftime. You've got to put together a game plan. And the box was preventing me from doing that. So I wrote about the box. And, and I, I wrote it in blog form. I didn't put my name on it, didn't put a picture on it. And I went out with a friend of mine who is a CEO in town. And uh, I said, hey, read this. Tell me what you think. And so he read it um, and he put it down and he goes, who wrote this? And I said, Why? And he said, because this is how I feel. Mm, I'm wow. in a box. And I said, you're kidding me. And he goes, no, this, is, this describes me perfectly. And I said, I wrote it. And he goes, you? You wrote that? You feel like you're in a box? I said, yes, I'm in a box. So like, that was my first clue that, that okay, there's something there. And, uh, and I need to do something. And it still took me another year after that to muster the courage to put something out there on LinkedIn that was even remotely vulnerable. Because it was different than the executive that I was and the image and everything I had built. I was going to be someone else on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was the same person in me, but I knew that the image was going to be a different image. That, that the same people who knew me in box A were going to wonder, who the heck is this guy coming around over here? And who's the real, who's, who's the real one here? And that first... And it, I should go back and look. I honestly don't even remember what it is, but I remember staring at it and staring at it and saying, this is not what people are going to expect from me. And I hit post, and I went upon my day. And, and the next week, and it was just once a week, maybe every other week at that point, a little more courage and a little more courage, a little more vulnerability. And, after, and that probably goes back a year and a half ago. Uh, and then about a year ago, I started posting a little bit, a little more regularly. And guys started just coming out of the woodwork. Um, and a following started to kind of happen. And uh, um, interesting thing about dudes on LinkedIn is um, as the following was growing, and it's really grown a lot in the last six months, and really the most in the last two months. But um, dudes on LinkedIn will not leave their DNA. They will not if you post, if I post something vulnerable, like, hey, dude, you might be in your life's halftime. You might not be living the second half story you want. You might want to give that some thought. A basic message. Know what you're doing. Know why you're doing it. A dude won't like that. He won't go on there on LinkedIn and like it because it leaves his DNA. Because everybody in his network, his, his friends in the bank, his coworkers, his friends at the country club, whatever, uh, friends on the line, wherever he's at in the world, it doesn't matter. They're going to see that and they're going to go, oh, Something's up with Jimmy. Something's up. Do you guys see that? 
They're not going to leave their DNA. And they're not going to comment. Women will. Women do it all day long. They're totally cool with it. They're more courageous. Mm-hmm. They're more vulnerable. They're okay and open about it on average, on, on, you know, stereotypically on average. And mm-hmm. we're okay, I'm okay with that. I'm just a dude talking as a dude here. Yep. Um, but dudes, when I would hear from them, it would be through direct message. They'd hit me with email and direct message like, I'll, can we talk? Can we have a conversation? And, uh, and the answer to that is always yes. But, but I realized then that my audience is going to be silent. There's going to be way more people listening, dudes, than I'm going to hear from. Um, and that continues to be the case today. So going back to your friend that's the CEO. Yeah. Before that time, did you talk about this with anybody? Did oh, my gosh. No. Men in your life that were close to you, that you group of guys, anything that you just would, would be vulnerable with? Or was there no vulnerable one and then all of a sudden that conversation? That's why I wrote. I could be vulnerable with myself. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and that's why I didn't have my name on it when I gave it to him. So if he could say, oh, my gosh, here's another. Who wrote this? I'd be like, I don't know. Somebody gave it to me. <laughs> next, conver- next topic. That's exactly why I didn't put my name on it. So what's your message to your pre-40 self? The message to my pre-40 self is um, I really believe that dudes go through something somewhere in midlife. Hence the name Normal 40. I wanted to name it. I wanted, I wanted to, if it's going to have a label, let's label it as normal, damn it. And let's start there. Mm. And I, 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 I said normal 40. And 40 is an age, but it's really a feeling. Yeah. I, hear from, I heard from three kids today. Kids, I use that term for people even older than me. Three, three dudes today, all in their 30s, all saying, I don't feel like I'm quite there yet, but I love the forecast. I love what you're putting out there. I love thinking about, you know, the things that I need to stay true to along the way. Um, and I'm like, well, that's perfect. It's a, it's a feeling. You can have normal 40 at age 30. You can have normal 40 at age 65. It's just a feeling. It's not an age. Um, but notionally, it happens in midlife. Notionally, midlife is 40, hence the name. So, Lon, you've, you did an amazing job uh, talking to us about what led you up to normal 40. Now I want to talk, how does normal 40 sit today? Not where you're going. We can go there in a little bit. What does normal 40 exist to do today? So, look, I've got a, um, I sat down in January of 2021. And uh, I started to etch out. I'm a drawer, so I write and I draw. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a visual guy. And I'm like, and I, I, had art, I was able to articulate what Normal 40 was. I've got, you know, the three buckets of inheritance, endowment, and legacy that we haven't talked about yet, so I won't confuse people. Uh, so I, I had all this clarity, but I didn't know how to talk about what does it feel like to go through it. It's easy to explain how you get to it. When you know when you're there. You just don't know how to move through it. So I sat down and I said, I got I to gotta do this for me, first of all. I'm going through it. And then I got I to gotta do it in a way that it, it translates for other dudes and women, too, by the way, who, who are going through this. So a uh, couple of things. I, 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 I uh, made a box form of what are, the, what are the 
feelings you go through when you're going through the normal 40. And I talked about one of them. I talked about recognizing when you're on autopilot and you know when you're there. You're doing good work. You're putting in good hours. You're showing up. You're checking all the boxes you're supposed to do. You're getting good performance reviews right down the back, right down the line. But there's something gnawing at you and it's not in your head. It's not in your head. Your head's saying you're doing a good job. You're going to get paid on Friday. Good work. Your gut's saying, hey, dude, uh, uh, are you sure? Is this, are you really sure? And there's that, there's that classic struggle. And then that's, that's when you realize you're in the box and you got to open up the box. So where I come to LinkedIn, there is a step after the box. There's a step when you're in the box. And that is what I call the awakening. It's the third step. You're an autopilot box. Third step is the awakening. So when you go back, and if you go back and you listen to this and you go back and you look at anything I've, I've put out there in the last six months, it's punching you in the awakening. It's making you stop. The intent is to punch you at stop, think, decide. You can decide. You can stop and think and decide to stay exactly where you're at and, and do it better and longer. And I mean, that's awesome if that's your decision but you did it with intent. If you do that, you don't get 10 or 15 years down the line and say, damn it, I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have given that some thought. You've done it, you've checked that box. You also might decide at the awakening though, that now it is time to do something else. It is a calling in the biblical or non-biblical sense. I don't care, you decide, but it still can be a calling and you have to decide how you wanna respond. Me, I responded after years of going through this that I'm gonna resign as uh, an executive, and I'm going to follow this. I'm going to go follow the omens. I'm going to see what's before me. And this is my first day, my first day in 23 years that I don't have W-2 income. And I'm here with you dogs talking about what the normal 40 is. And whenever this airs and whenever it goes out, I'm going to follow the omens. There's going to be people who find me and it's going to lead to people who I wouldn't know otherwise. And we're just going to see where it goes. Perfect world line. We're where do you see normal 40 going? Uh, I understand that uh, what you've built, I mean, I've seen, I've seen the imagery. I've seen what you've built. You shared that with me. There's got to be people reaching out to you saying, Lon, this is me. Uh, what you're saying is nailing me to the proverbial cross. And what do I do now? So that's where Lon steps in and Lon's like, I'm going to walk with you here. Right, because this is, you got to call it what it is, right? I mean, essentially, you're counseling, right? You're counseling men, consulting men how to get through uh, this period in their life. Is that correct? And you have clients right now. It's true. I just didn't expect it. I didn't go looking for this. Right. I just didn't. I mean, I just, I just uh, architected a $2.1 billion. Uh, merger. I'm not a counselor. I mean, what? I don't help dudes, you know, transition in their second half. What? what? You know, I, so I didn't go looking for this. Um, and, uh, but it's in me, it's in me and it's starting to come out. Um, so what is next? You know, you answered a few of them. One, I mean, I do have a couple of clients, um, but I'm taking that super slow. I'm, mm-hmm. I've said no to way more than I've said yes to, um, just because I'm, I'm being diligent about it. There's a real desire, um, for 
and a real need for a small group of dudes to to come through a process that I have to help to help them make this transition or to stay, but to double down their efforts on a direction. And and where most where the coaching comes into play is you get to this point and you know my my mantra is, you know, you've heard them all. Own your clock, you know, be intentional and own your clock. Um, but another one is make the trade. And everything in your life is a trade. The fact that I'm sitting here is a trade. The fact that I'm not an employee of a public company anymore is a trade. The fact that you guys are, are giving up your time to be here in this building is a trade for something else. Everything is a trade. And what dudes know is they arrive into halftime. They arrive into the normal 40. And they get to the point like, I'm willing to trade, man. I'm ready. I'm ready to trade. Son of a bitch, I have no idea what I'm going to trade it for. Mm-hmm. I have no, I don't have any visibility. I don't know what's in me. I don't know. It's not clear. I know it's tangentially over here, and they'll have some sticks and stones that they've put in the corner to, to build from, but, but they don't know exactly what it is. And the process is, well, we got to figure that out, and we got to pull it out of you. And it's not in your head. It's not in your head. And, and in your first half, you're so used to thinking with your head to be successful that you don't listen to your gut where you where you find your significance and your significance is boiled down to the sticks and stones that are in the corner and you got to pull them out and put them together and that's hard mm-hmm. and dudes think you should just wake up and say well if i'm not happy with this i'll go do if i'm not happy with x i'll go do y because that's what's ne- it's not that easy it's really hard it's really hard and i'll say it again i didn't expect to be here this wasn't my master plan a year ago, even six weeks ago. I didn't expect to not be employed by my company. So um, it, but I, f- I picked up the sticks and stones that were in the corner, and I'm following the omens, and I'm gonna see where we go. Lon, I want to bring this back full circle. Is your dad still alive? Yeah. What's your dad think about your career choices? So we've talked about it. Uh, he's, he's even said it. He said, the best thing I could have done is not come back to the farm. Um, the farm is still in the family. It's actually one of the questions I get a lot when I, when I tell the stories. My sister, my, my older sister, and, her, and my brother-in-law are on the farm, and they're doing great. So it's in good hands. It's in the family. I still get to go home. My folks still live on the farm as well. Uh, I still get to go home and get my farm fix as often as I can. I go home and help with harvest. I try not to help with fence. It's really as sucky as I remember it. Uh, but I go home and help move cattle and the glorious stuff, you know, mm-hmm. harvest, Ooh, planting, yes. Yep. Making fence, I don't know, brother-in-law can tackle that. <laughs> right. So, so your dad, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the immediate reaction. Like, I'm, the right thing you did was to, to stay away. Yeah. Is your dad... You know, the one thing that we hear the most and you hear about with men a lot is is either their dad did or didn't say they were proud of them. Is your dad proud? Oh, yeah. Will your kids be proud? Of me? I'm doing this to show my kids you can make a career change in your life and you don't have to get married to any one thing. I wanted to do it. My, I've got a senior. My daughter's a senior. And I they've heard me talk about the normal 40 for long enough. Uh, and I've got a, I've got a, a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, excuse me, and a 10-year-old. And uh, I wanted them to see their 
parents take a risk. My, my wife took a risk when she quit her career to stay home with them and then took another risk after 15 years off to go back. She's a kindergarten teacher. She went back into the school and she's a gift to every student she'll ever have. She's phenomenal. Journey and Elementary. Journey Elementary. Shout out baby. Journey Elementary. I'm hoping my little dog, Gray Dog, is in her class <laughs> next year. He's going to kindergarten. Ooh, big, big. Look big, out, big. Mrs. Strohshine. I'll put in a good word. Please do. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that 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 actually is part of it. So uh, yeah, I know I I know my dad's right. He did say so. We were we were. Um, he's heard normal forty, and he's heard you feel something to make a career change. And just this morning, he said, "You know, I'm a farmer, and I never had." any desire to not do what I did my whole life, which I thought was very rancher of him. But wow. very, very like uh, full circle as well, yeah. right? You, you, you came from strong lineage of this is what I'm supposed to do and this is what I did. And you have Lon who's like, this is what I thought I'd do and I did something completely different, right? They're, you got it. Th- those lines are, are parallel, but they're going in the same direction. Yeah. And it's finding that circle, that completeness that both you and your dad found. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's super cool. Well, as ha- what happens most of the time, we run out of time to go super deep on Normal 40 um, or even deeper uh, with our guests. But the one thing we want to shout out uh, is how to find Lon. Lon, how do you find out more about you, get in contact with you? There's going to be some people that react to this and be like, hey, I need to at least do a little bit of research on Normal 40 and Lon. So uh, where, the, where can they find you and Normal 40? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's pretty easy. Uh, the best place is just hop on LinkedIn and follow me. I do have a Normal 40 page. Uh, I, Normal 40 and me are synonymous. I'm just going to just me. So just Lon Strohshine. Um, and, and hook up with me there. I have a website, normal40.com. I'll tell you, it's very, uh, it's, it's just very basic at this point. The best information, um, it's all going to lead you to, here's who I am. Here's what I do. If you want to, if you want to talk, here's how you reach me. It's an email, lon at normal40.com. Doesn't get much easier than that. And then we just figure it out. We figure it out. Um, I'm, I am on a journey. I feel like I'm I'm anywhere from six months to six years ahead of some dudes who are feeling it so I can help navigate it. Uh, but I'm not there yet. I have no idea, none, where this is going to be in two years from now. I just have no idea. Uh, but I'm, I'm willing to go wherever it takes me. It's a cool thing. We say on Mandate a lot, don't we, cons, that most of the time we just grab a sticky substance and we throw it against the wall and That's we see right. what sticks. That's right. We say that a lot. And usually after four, five, six attempts, something sticks and we just chase that sticky, sticky thing on the wall. And usually it ends up being quite meaningful. Lon, I enjoyed getting to know you better. This is great. Uh, appreciate it. Anything else you want to say to the listeners? Um, oh, I, no. I mean, I think we've, <laughs> we've, covered, we've covered everything. Uh, you know, anything would just be a, would be a reminder. Um, you know, it's a... Everything is a trade. And if you, when you boil it down and really think about that, if there's something about you that just isn't happy and fulfilled, never has there been a better time to figure out what you want to trade, the things you have, the life you have, for the life you want. I mean, it, 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 
can be that simple. It'll be your mind that complicates it. Um, and, and it's just a conversation. Lon, uh, greatly appreciate you being here. This has been a wonderful trade in time. Uh, very, very good use of our time. We greatly appreciate that uh, you would take your message and share it with Mandate uh, and our listeners. And we're looking forward to publishing this one on your behalf and, and Mandate's behalf as it fits our mission pretty much identical. Yeah. So congratulations. And thank you, Mandate, uh, Ben and Ryan, for doing this. Um, it's really cool. It really is cool. And it's not easy. And it's, it's not fast. Uh, it takes your time. It takes time away from your family. I mean, it is a trade you guys are doing and it matters. So thanks for doing it. Uh, and I look forward to, look, the other thing I would say is in our first conversation, Ben, uh, we kind of committed to one another that this would be my first podcast that I would do when I'm ready. Yep. And, and today I'm ready. And, uh, and then you are very generous in saying, well, then I'll do my part in getting it out there. So I, uh, I think our mission is, uh, completely aligned. And I hope this is one of, of uh, many more things that we get an opportunity to do together. Very cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lon. It's a good time. We'll see you next time on Mandate. Mandate does not exist without your continued support or the fact that you, KPP, keep pressing play. Another great episode of the Mandate Podcast is behind us. But here's something you can look forward to. Check out next week's podcast. Also, like and subscribe. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Find us on Instagram at MandatePod. Or send us an email, mandate.pod at gmail.com. Who knows? We might reference your email or call you out in episode. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash MandatePod. There's three easy ways to support monthly basis and all of the funds go right back into this podcast. KPP. Keep pressing play. See you next time on Mandate.